Welcome to Coaching DNA Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wyckoff. My guests on this podcast are coaches, athletic directors, sports psychologists, and really anyone else that can add value to leaders. In each episode, we spend time exploring leadership, culture, development, personal growth, and much, much more. The guests are different in many ways, but share profound similarities. They are hungry to get better, they are guided by purpose, and they are driven to develop the people around them. Each episode allows us to dive into what skills, attributes, and giftings make up great leaders. When I'm not doing this podcast, I run Kingdom Coaching. It is my consulting business where I coach coaches. I work with coaches one-on-one. I work with coaching staffs, as well as run online cohorts. Additionally, I write a weekly email newsletter to resource coaches with tools and strategies to be better leaders and coaches. To find out more, visit my website at kingdomcoachingtw.com and please check me out on Twitter at kingdomcoachtw or at coaching underscore DNA and give me a follow. I hope you enjoy the show. My guest this week is Steve Shinbaum. Steve is a classically trained actor and comedian and the president and founder of Game On Nation. Steve and his staff have worked with some of the most demanding and high-profile corporations, professional and collegiate athletes and teams, and military organizations in the world. They are innovators in the use of improvisation and game dynamics, and Steve is considered one of the industry's leading experts in culture development, team building, and communication presentation skills training. I've gotten to know Steve over the last several months, and not only is he really, really gifted and skilled, but he is a stud, awesome guy. His energy will inspire, and his gifts and skills will help you get better. So without further ado, my conversation with Steve Shinbaum. Steve, thanks for carving time out to join us today on the podcast. I'm super excited to get a chance to visit with you, and I'm really excited for our audience uh, to get a chance to know you a little bit and kind of hear your story and you share some wisdom. So why don't we hop right in? Why don't you uh, walk us through your journey from high school to present day? Love it. High school was in Claremont, California, out in Southern Cal. And I grew up in West Covina, California. I say that because my hometown is important to me, West Covina. It's about and you know, 45 miles outside of LA, but a drive, it would be like an hour and a half, two hours of traffic. But went to this small little prep school called Webb. It was a special place, very intimate place. I got a chance to play probably more athletics than I normally would at a public school. That kind of helped inform sort of my love for sports because it was a prep school I could, you know play some positions that I probably would not have uh, started in a, in a big, big public school. Um, and that also just opened up my eyes to like, I think for Webb, the big thing for me was just tons of different people from different parts of the world. Hmm. So it was a prep school. I was a day student. So I drive in and most kids were uh, living there. But one of the things about Webb that I didn't realize then, but realize now how important it was, was the diversity was wild. I mean, you had kids from all over the world because it's a boarding school. So that was really a big part of my 14, 18 year old uh, life. And then I headed out to Evanston, Illinois to be a theater major at Northwestern University. Big deal for me to move away from my family. Uh, college counselor at Webb, went to Northwestern, Mrs. Marilyn Bloom. It's funny when you remember someone's name 
35 years later because of the impact they made on you. She happened to go to Northwestern and she was like, you know, Steve, you may want to check that out because I was in a play my junior and senior year at Webb. I played sports, but also did theater. And she saw the play and she pulled me aside and said, you know what? You probably sweetly. She's like, you're probably not going to play sports in college at division one. That was like wisdom as a college counselor. It hurt me then, but you know, you have an interest in theater. There's a really good theater program and it's my alma mater. So anyway, Northwestern for 88 to 92, um, started to really get into theater and performance studies and really the, just the importance of connecting with audiences. That was a big deal for me in that journey. Um, also during that time really was social. And I say that in a positive way and also probably made a ton of mistakes, um, over socializing, um, staying out really late, making mistakes, but thankfully, uh, was protected and never got into any major trouble, but definitely pushed the envelope on the play and the academics. And then after, uh, college just stayed in Chicago, did theater, and some television and commercials there, moved back to LA and started getting into like the Hollywood world and, and auditioning and getting an agent and really exploring. Uh, my first love was improvisation, but then exploring this auditioning and making it a career. I was out in LA uh, uh, for about seven years um, as an actor, um, realized I was never happy working or not working. When you're not working, it can create some anxiety. When you are working and you're like, man, I'm still anxious, that starts to get you a little bit. I felt a little bit uh, lost there. And I was like, wait, this is my dream or so I thought, and I'm no happier working. So it really just, it, the environment for me didn't suit my desire to have structure and uh, stability um, emotionally and financially. So worked in LA and then I just decided to start teaching forms of improvisation to athletes in Venice, California. There was a need. I had some friends who were like, hey, would you help me with my TV interviews? I said, sure. Uh, one of my clients was Pete Sampras. Uh, was considered a very quiet, introverted tennis player. One of the greatest tennis players in the world was definitely the greatest tennis player at that time. And he said to me, Steve, I, I feel very boring on camera. And uh, I was able to share with him some concepts, improv and theater concepts that he responded to. From there, Fast forward to IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Uh, Pete said to me a statement I'll never forget when we were working together. He said, Steve, I wish this program was offered when I was younger. Hmm. And here's, he was probably like 30 at the time. And I said, where are there young Pete Sampras's? And lo and behold, it was the Bulletary IMG Sports Academy in Bradenton. Yeah. So Pete's uh, agent at the time reached out to IMG. We had a conversation, ended up being there for 10 years. Uh, with a team of people leading the communication leadership program at IMG. Met my wife there in 2009. We've been married, uh, what, 11 years. We have two little girls. We're no longer at IMG. We left in 2013. And now we run Game On here in Bradenton, Florida. Um, and uh, that anxiety that I had in Hollywood is gone. The struggles are still there, but I feel so much more content doing what I do now, teaching and leading, using improv and role-playing and gamification and experiential learning techniques. And uh, that's my story. And now I'm here on, with Travis Wyckoff on a podcast. Love it. Love <laughs> it. Okay. Thanks for walking us through that. I want to pick up a, a couple things. Yeah. One, I want to, I want to, I'm going to share this and I'm curious what your thoughts are. I think one of the most valuable things that leaders can do is, is to look at the people that are quote unquote under them, that they're leading 
and um, help them identify where they could really thrive. Or another way to frame it is to call the gold out in people. It's great. Uh, Marilyn Bloom did that to you. She, she, I mean, I think this might be maybe a little overstating it, but I'm going to say it anyways. She called something out in you and pinpointed something and basically sounds like might've changed the trajectory of your life. hundred percent. And, uh, she spoke truth into me, but it's interesting too, Travis, all the things she shared, I didn't love. Look, my dream man was to play second base for the Dodgers. Now let's be real with each other. When you're second team, all prep league, and there's only five teams in the league, you know, you're like better than three of those second basemen. And then there's one guy better than you. That's cool, man. That's a great patch on your varsity letterman jacket. You're not playing second base for the Dodgers. Sorry. So for her to say, Hey, Steve, you know, sports may not be your future, but you have an interesting gift on stage. Yeah. She spoke truth into me, life into me and absolutely had a huge impact. I don't think I would have been thinking Northwestern, especially when you're in LA, you're not thinking like, let's go somewhere really cold. You yep. know, many miles away from your family and a study theater. So yeah, absolutely. She saw what do you call it? Like the night, the the calling gold. the gold out in people. I love that calling yeah. the gold out in people. And yeah, she certainly did that. Yeah, love that. Okay, I want to. I'm curious. You had mentioned that the uh, diversity was really impactful for you at Web Prep School. Explain that. Give me like how. What has the uh, play out over the last? I don't want to date you. Twenty years. Of of after web uh, prep school, the the diversity, how'd that help? How'd that impact you? It's still a process. I'm impacted by it all the time, but I didn't realize the power of being around so many people from different parts of the world. Um, I just thought it was normal because at 14 years old, you got kids from all over and you're just in school together. But in reflection, and especially now that what's really being exposed currently. Mm-hmm. It's humbled me and made me realize, wow, I have been fortunate to be around a lot of diversity, but now this is where it kind of gets really intense for me is how do we handle that and how do we lead and how do we also humble ourselves and truly be in a place where we can support and amplify different voices at the same time, not misunderstand and amplify different voices. But in the process, you're really just giving other people homework assignments and responsibilities that may not be theirs. It may be ours to help fight their fight. Dude, that's wow. That's a lot. <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm going to go down this rabbit trail just for a second or two. Yeah. I'd yeah. be curious. Like, uh, I don't know if you have an example or if you want to flesh that out more, because yeah. obviously in our times, as you alluded to, Diversity is a big thing and there needs to be diversity, but how do you handle that? Yeah. I'd love for you to maybe give an example and or flesh that out a little more. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate letting it go there because um, it's not perfect on my end. Like I'm still learning, you know, sometimes I don't even know my blind spots. Here's what I'm learning. I will give you an example. When you have a diverse team and we have a diverse team, mm-hmm. that's not where it ends. You don't just say, Hey, we have a diverse team. Therefore we're authority and diversity, inclusion and belonging. It's also really important that me as a leader do not put too much responsibility on the members of the team that are marginalized for them to be the people that have to step up and represent for the marginalized. That actually, to me, is a burden it could be. And the only way you know that is to ask, like just to stop and say, hey, am I truly supporting you 
and giving you what you need or am I doing what I think you need? And going back to the web question, Travis, I know I kind of went intense there, but this is what's on my heart. Yeah. I had to reflect back to my experience at web. And you know what else I did? I used those friendships because I still have many of them to ask them, hey, if you were part of my team and I gave you this opportunity, is that a good thing? Is that a nice opportunity? You feel like that's just an extra burden. So you have to have those conversations. And that's where web came into play because I do have a really cool Rolodex. I just have to use that Rolodex wisely and listen. That's so good. Really good. Okay, let's uh, fast forward from web to you start working with athletes on improv. How did that start? Like, Do you remember the moment you had the thought of like, I know I'm going to Try to work with, like, yeah, give us some insight into how that started. Yeah, there really was a moment. I don't have many where it's like this moment. Usually it's a, a, a drawn out series of events. This truly was me not content in Hollywood, but working, like I mentioned, being able to meet Pete Sampras at the time, the number one tennis player in the world. Pete coming to me at that moment and saying, look, would you be able to help me bring out my personality. Here I am thinking, I want to do more than just act and wait for a casting director to say yes or no to me. Mm. So it was almost like, and I don't believe in coincidences, it was a perfect sort of moment where things came together. And when Pete said, I'm tired of being called boring, and he and I also have very different personalities, I was able to take a few days after he requested sort of working together and I realized that I actually could create curriculum for him. It didn't uh, uh, seem like a burden to me. And I came back to him a few days later and said, Pete, I think I have a plan. And I already felt more empowered mm. because I was involved in something that I could create. And then Pete felt empowered because he was improving and learning. So it was almost like we both needed each other. Even though he might think I was serving him, he was serving me by allowing me to maybe find my natural gift going back to Marilyn Bloom versus me going to auditions and acting high energy and waiting for someone to approve me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how long between you and Pete Sampras starting to work together and game on nation, the, the, the launching of the official, your business that you lead now? Yeah, it was about six months. So we worked together. We were in Venice, California at the electric lodge theater. And then after about six months of just creating curriculum for Pete, I realized right then and there, this is an opportunity to create a business. I remember like, I think I borrowed like $500 from my mom and I created a website. It was in 1996. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, using uh, AOL with that dial up email and um, got my business cards. And the funny thing is I thought I had a full business ready to go because I had business cards and a website, but <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like, yeah. Lo and behold, that was, that was not, that, that does not make a functioning business, but yeah, yeah. it was about six months after I worked with Pete. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on your business, but I would love for you to maybe flesh out a little bit more. Um, exactly. What do you do in, in primarily who do you work with? Like, yeah. is it just athletes now? Like give us some insight into that. No, it's good. It's like three buckets. So think of it as like college and pro sports teams. Mostly we don't do a lot of individual work with athletes. So college and pro sports teams, that's one bucket. And it's about 30, 30, 30, uh, 33, 33, 33. Another bucket is corporations, a lot of organizations focusing on culture development. And then the third bucket is an interesting one uh, that came later. It's military and government. Um, but again, all three of those buckets are really organizations and teams, if you think about it. And then the, the four areas that we 
uh, lean into um, is teamwork and communication is area number one, public speaking, presentation skills, area number two, well-being, area number three, and inclusive leadership, area number four. And the concentric circle for those four is connection. That's what we're focusing on, connection. When we do well-being, we're not like coming from a clinical perspective. That's not our background, but the power of relationships and connection and joy and levity and how those components can improve um, organizations and teams. You've obviously been around a lot of elite leaders. So my the, the general thrust, the general premise of my podcast is what makes the really, really great leaders great? Like what are those attributes? And so I love diving into this. So as you've yeah. been working with different teams, different corporations, the military and government, and you've been around a lot of really great leaders, what are the commonalities that you see amongst the great leaders? I wanted to take a quick break as a coach to coaches. One of the things I'm always looking into and studying is what makes elite leaders elite. I want to continue to dive into this topic because I want to help those coaches that I work with constantly move the needle in their career. If they are good leaders, I want to help them become really good. If they are really good, I want to help them become elite. One common thing I see in leaders, well, really, this is a human problem, but one thing I've seen in my life personally and in others is we often have a constraint or multiple constraints that keep us from being all that we can be. So I want to study elite leaders and then want to be able to help identify constraints in those coaches I work with. Then we obviously want to work at removing those constraints. I work with coaches one-on-one in small groups, what I call cohorts, as well as I lead a larger group of like-minded leaders called the tribe. For more information about myself, Kingdom Coaching, and to get an idea of what others have said who have worked with me, go to kingdomcoachingtw.com. Now back to Steve Shinbaum. To me, the two things that I find similar with lots of great leaders, and these are leaders that I gravitate towards. That doesn't mean that there aren't other factors out there sure. is authority and empathy and actually going further. And I'm still in the process of this. I constantly make mistakes here. The balance of authority and empathy. So I find that leaders that end up with too much authority and I've been there, it comes across as really uh, kind of preachy and can be a little bit condescending and almost there's a level of arrogance. On the flip side, if there's too much empathy, and trust me, I've probably gone too far on the empathy during the pandemic. There's almost too much emotion and you're almost asking people to go places that they may not want to go and may not be ready to go. And I'm really balancing that out. So when I see good leaders, I think one of the common denominators is the balance of authority and empathy and how they how they mesh the two together continuously. Do you, I'd be curious if you have examples of names of leaders that you've been around that you just think really highly of and giving, give it, maybe giving us a little bit of a picture of maybe how they balance the authority, the empathy, or maybe they balance something else that you're just really drawn to these leaders. Any leaders come to mind that you've been around over, let's just say the last five to seven years? You know, there's a group, it's, it's, it's more than one. I want to go with this. It's actually a staff and it, it's led by Corey Close at UCLA Women's yeah. Basketball. And Corey's staff, she has Shannon Perry and Tasha Brown. So it's interesting because I want to give all of them credit. They're not perfect, 
But man, I will say one thing about that group. They consistently are working on yeah. it. Consistently work. Almost sometimes where I'm like, oh my goodness, you all are always doing something to pour into your players. But Corey, Shannon, Tasha, and that whole organization at UCLA Women's Basketball has been very fascinating to me as a model of people that are constantly trying to improve and being willing to be vulnerable and kind of going back to what I shared, Travis, I do see authority amongst that staff, starting mm -hmm. with Corey. I also see a tremendous amount of empathy. And what I love about them is they have made mistakes like we all do, and they'll acknowledge it. They'll acknowledge when they go too far on the empathy or too far on the authority. So that would yeah. be my example that's kind of resonates with me currently. So when you go, thanks for sharing that. I love that. That's yeah. so good. Um, when you go work with, again, regardless, pro team, corporation, military, give me an idea maybe, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work down the four things that you work with. Give me an idea on like, when you think teamwork and communication, what are the couple things that you're really trying to drive home and pull out or, or show them? Yeah, I would say the gateway to that one is listening. So we will bring in some listening exercises that we can share with the organization, have them put it on its feet, whether it's virtually or live, and they can then use it moving forward. So that's kind of how we'd address teamwork and communication. Now there's other ways to address it. It's just our style is to address it through exercises and the, the gateway for me, if you're a client, you're like, Steve, I want to work on teamwork and communication. My first suggestion would be, let's start with listening. Give me one listening exercise that our, the coaches listening could, could utilize. Yeah. There's a really easy, fun one called last letter, first letter. So uh, we teach it a lot. Um, it's a favorite and it's funny. It, people respond to it because I think everyone's starving to pause and listen. So I would talk for a little while. And if you were my teammate, you'd have to start your sentence. Let's do it right now, Trevor. Yep. You don't have to go back and forth, but like it, you have to start your sentence with the last letter of my last word. That's it. That's all we're focusing on. We're not trying to be epic and hilarious. So this is exactly what I would do. Like, hey, Travis, we're so glad you're part of our organization now. And the team and I want to offer you right on the spot today, a promotion. No way. Really? A promotion? <laughs> Holy cow. That's awesome. Thank you, Steve. Everyone consensus is a big fan of yours. And not only do we want to do promotion, man, I'm telling you right now on, on, on this day, Friday, we're going to give you a raise of a thousand dollars. Shut up. That's even, <laughs> it keeps getting better. By the way, I love that. My, right uh, you know, I, obviously I've seen you do that on a couple occasions. Yeah. We, my family did that on our, uh, we took a long drive a couple of weeks ago and we, we, we did that. Um, exercise. And it is really, really funny mm. how um, you've got to lock in. Like, like there's a forward lean to everybody when they, I even felt myself just now as we were doing that, I'm kind of like leaning forward towards my screen. Like, yeah. okay, what, what, what's, he, what's, what's the last letter? Yeah. So to your point, listening locked in way more heightened when you do that exercise. And then what you could do in that teamwork and communication exercises, you can start to have good conversations about listening. And then also in these sessions, we encourage the leaders of the team, the coaches, uh, the, whether it's CEO, coaches, 
whoever the leaders are, be part, be a part of it, but also observe your team, not in judgment, but like, you're going to see these exercises don't lie. When you bring people up and bring them out of their comfort zone in a safe environment, it, you can see things that will be very helpful. And you can put that up against a personality assessment. You can see people that maybe don't, aren't listening as well, or, or they could, they, they could benefit from taking a pause and you could use that information in a productive manner to continue to, as you say, like find the gold in your team. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. Public speaking. Mm. Uh, I can't remember what you, how you mentioned this, but in the area of public speaking, frame out how you would approach that with a team or an organization. Wow. Cool. First we define presentation. So I'm a big believer that we are all presenters and I think it can get tricky when you're on YouTube and you watch Ted talks and you see these orators and it disconnects you. You're like, Whoa, that person is Brene Brown is bringing it, you know, and this, these are skilled, skilled presenters, right? But I believe we all are presenters. So when we focus on presentation, we define the term presentation as an interaction and exchange with another human being or another group of, of people that is present. You're presenting. If you're a little league coach, you're presenting when you come home and talk to your spouse and partner or wife or husband and your children, you know? So once we define presentation as not an act, then you can get into some discussion. We have a pretty simple framework. It's called spot. And I'm not a huge acronym person at the same time. I find them to be useful if there's productivity behind them, SPOT stands for set up, present, observe, and take away. So when we're framing out presentation for organizations, we encourage them, no matter what it is, it could be a PowerPoint, it could be a two-hour meeting, it could be a 10-minute Zoom. We encourage the, the presenters to think about it in four quadrants. What, how are you setting things up? Hmm. Literally the room, the air conditioning, the, the, the actual message, the email in advance, how do you actually present your message with flow? How, what are some observations you can pick up about your audience and about you during the presentation? And what are you giving the audience as a takeaway? Mm. And when you can break it into four quads, two things happen. One, you have a framework, but two, when you're done presenting, you can actually have a nice assessment that's not personal versus you present, Travis, I'm your teammate. I'm in the room. This is the exchange. Hey, How'd you feel it went, Steve? Yeah, dude, it was good. You did a good job, man. That was good. Like there's totally. no, right? Like, totally. hey, hey, Travis, what'd you think of my presentation? Yes, dude, that was good, man. That was good. Like I'm not gaining any <laughs> practical feedback versus, check this. Hey, Travis, how did you feel my setup was? Do you think I could have improved a few areas? Yeah, Steve, you know, maybe you separate the chairs a little bit because they were really close. And then, um, how was my actual flow in my presentation? You can give me some feedback. Did I give a little pause and observe and did I give enough time for the Q and a, or did I interrupt and did, did I was, was I clear enough on my takeaway? And now we're breaking it down into four quadrants and the feedback is way, way, um, more easy to receive. That's so good. Okay. Give me, give me the, the top or one of the top mistakes that you see people make when it comes to presentation or public speaking? My first thought is sharing with you my mistakes, you know, cause it's easy to be like, look at that person. They're not doing it. Well, you know, I'll say it for me is when you forget that the audience is hearing 
your message for the first time. Mm. I think young presenters that are delivering new material, there's a spontaneity and a freshness and a care about it. It's when you start presenting and you start telling the same joke over and over again, A, have the freedom and courage to refresh those things and B, never forget that you might've shared this message 2000 times, but whether you're a college coach, right? That's a new team that you're working with. You may have juniors and seniors have heard you, but like you have to remember that the audience is hearing your message for the first time and don't mail it in. That would be one note I'd give for myself and for others. That's good. So um, this is one of, actually, this is an interesting conversation. This is one of my areas that I, uh, to say I don't excel in is like the greatest understatement of all time. I actually have, uh, like the previous seven months before uh, the the, uh, pandemic, I did what was called Toastmasters. I'm assuming you're familiar with Toastmasters. Totally. So that I could be a better public speaker and presenter. And it's so interesting that for me, and I'd be curious what your thoughts are on this, my presentation, the, the, the level of like what I would say was like, it went well, that the level of presentation depends upon my mindset as I go in. If my mindset is it's about me and I've got to teach and what yeah. are my bullet points, if it's about that, dude, I will be painful to watch. If I mm-hmm. can have the mindset of like, I want to add as much value and exhort this audience and I, I'm so much better. And it's crazy how that mindset actually, I can do everything the same, but my mindset dictates if I come across totally. bad or kind of healthy. So let's, can we, let's go there. We okay. actually feel the same way. You're not alone, Travis. Like when we make it about ourselves and we're chasing the likes and we want the audience to love us, it is a dangerous end zone to try to reach. And if you do reach it, you may reach it. And the end trophy is a big trophy called anxiety. I'm not kidding. Like when you go after the audience's like or love, it's dangerous. We actually, go ahead. Did you have something you want to dive in on? I have one little caveat to throw in there. I yeah. don't think I am, ch- I mean, uh, to, to one level, uh, like I think it is true. I think I am more focused on the other side of the coin. I'm not so much like, oh, I want them to think I'm awesome. I am so right. much worried about, I don't want to suck. Right. I don't want to blow yeah. it. And still the same thing, it's on, it's, it's, it's like internally on me and I don't want to suck. So it's not like I'm like, dude, I want to get so many likes. I just don't want to bomb. Right. And it's a bad and I know, that you have. Yeah. And I, I want to reset that because when you shared that, I knew where you were going, but I want, because I know you, Travis, there's two sides of the, co- the coin sure. and there's a, a, there's, there's a way to mitigate both. So let's run there. Like okay. for those of you, it's not your style. I know you well, you're pretty humble, man, but there's that style of people and they, they're well-intentioned where they're like, man, I just want to deliver amazing. And these folks love it. And then there's the other sides like, like you said, I just don't want to bomb. Okay. <laughs> Let's start with that group. I don't want to bomb. Here's our big note. Every rational audience member is rooting for the presenter. Mm. And we have to remind, we call it, they want to cast you. And here's how we explain it. If you're in the audience, you're not going to sit there and say, I hope this next presenter is terrible. I can't wait to have an awkward hour. <laughs> right. right? 
You don't think that way. Rational. I'm saying rational. Now there's a few people that are irrational, but we're not going to try to, and hopefully they're not tuning in your podcast or if they do, their hearts get changed. But so for your thing, Travis about, which is so honest about, man, I don't want to bomb. You know, it's beautiful. The audience is also feeling that if we can remember that Mm. we can actually start to breathe and realize we can't go into a presentation thinking, man, I, I hope I don't get judged. I hope I don't bomb. It's no, it's different. They're like, man, I want you to do great. They're going to laugh at an average joke. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to celebrate you for what maybe your, you know, uh, your family may not celebrate you for because audiences want speakers to do well because no one goes to a conference, a presentation, a YouTube video and says, I can't wait for this to be a waste of my time. Cool. Yep. I love that. Second, the guy, the folk guys, men, women who come on stage and I've been both. I have too, by the way, as you're talking, I'm like, dude, I've been on that other side. Like, man, I want them to think I'm the freaking best. Totally. That's real. This is a great exercise. It's simple. It's called objectives. We tell our audience, we tell the, uh, our, our clients, we tell the folks that are presenting, Hey, what's one word you want to make the audience feel. And the word has to be positive. That's it. What's one word, for example, if you're getting in a group of people, Hmm. After you've done all your prep and all that other wonderful stuff, which by the way, side note, prep also means getting good sleep, drinking water, being clear, being well-rested. All of those things oftentimes aren't talked about in public speaking, but to me, those are the most important things. Mm. The actual content, you should be pretty comfortable with all that prep, but what's one word? Before you walk on stage, I'd ask every presenter, what's one word that you can write down on your notes or have in your, your mind? that you're trying to make the audience feel. For example, I might be really heavy with metaphors. I have a tendency to be, I like to go. So oftentimes I'll choose, I want my audience to feel informed. That's my word I'm going to drive home. Mm. And then it'll make me more clear. And my hope is that someone might come up to me after the session and not say, dude, that was great. Like what they, who's going to stand in the back of the room? Like, Hey man, that was very average. <laughs> no doubt. No one does that. But if someone came to me and said, Hey, I, I really appreciated how clear you were with that point. That actually allows me to check off the box that someone in the audience was informed. Good. So we like to uh, encourage people to have one word that they're trying to make the audience feel. And that removes the feeling of, I hope they love me and I hope I bring it and I hope I kill it. Cause those terms to me are part of the dangers of public speaking. Yeah. That's really good. I feel like I need to Venmo you some money. You just coach me through it, dude. I owe you. That's so good. Thanks so much for listening. I'm assuming if you made it this far that you enjoyed the conversation, would you please leave a review and pass this podcast along to anyone else that you think might enjoy it. If you have any suggestions for the show, I'm always looking to to grow and to improve the show. Email me at Travis at KingdomCoachingTW.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, have a good one.